To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's this? I got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have on Dale Perry from Evolution Outdoors. And so Dale is just a diehard bow hunter. And so we get on and we start talking broadheads and we talk expandables, we talk hybrids, we talk fixed blades, we talk about the advantages and disadvantages of both, we talk about our personal preferences and and also just some of our theories behind broadheads and, and hunting animals with a bow and arrow. So it's just a great conversation. Um, Evolution Outdoors is a new sponsor to Eastman's. Um, we pick and choose these sponsors carefully. Um, you guys know how much my bow hunting means to me, and I'm not going to jeopardize that by using a subpar product. So when the guys came to me and said, you know, we've, we've got a broadhead uh, company, Dale Perry. We worked with him before. He's the original... He, he uh, came up with the design for the Gravedigger broadheads, which I've killed a bunch of animals with, and I really like. They're really aerodynamic. These new Evolution Outdoors, the Jekyll and the Hyde, they're an improved version of those broadheads. And um, so I've fallen in love with them quick and uh, going to be using them and trusting them this season. I got my quiver full of them. Say I've been testing for about a week and a half on uh, two a days on these broadheads, and I got them flying really well. They're a forgiving broadhead, and uh, they're just going to do a ton of damage. I just love the design of them. So really excited to use them this season. Wanted to get this podcast out to you guys um, before the major bow hunts come out and uh, just introduce you to the to Dale Perry and introduce you to these broadheads. Over there at Eastman's... Um, Gosh, we're getting excited. I know everybody's going on their hunts. We've got some awesome Beyond the Grids coming up. I'll let you guys know what those episodes are and when they come out. I turned in that antelope hunt, so um, we'll release that. Hopefully that makes a Beyond the Grid, or if not, we'll just release it to you guys somehow, some way. But um, yeah, that was a quality hunt, and I'm really excited to capture a couple more this season. Uh, I know Dan Picard's been busy. That guy... Um, he loves to bow hunt as much as I do. He's just constantly uh, in the woods. And so, yeah, I saw he put down an antelope the other day. Good on him. Um, yeah, he just loves the flight of the arrow like me. He's constantly going for it. So I'll be excited to see what he turns up this season and uh, see what he can put on the deck. And I'm just I'm super excited for high country mule deer. You guys know how much I love that. And then um, I'm super excited for elk this year to really put my focus on elk for a month or more. And uh, chase those things all around a couple states. So uh, really excited for elk and uh, excited for hunting season. Um, man, I can't believe it's already here. Uh, I feel like I'm really well prepared. Got all my gear and all my stuff ready. I'm going to take off to the mountains here. I leave um, tomorrow morning, so I'm getting it pretty close. Trying to get all my work done here at the, the podcast and um, obligations at work and obligations with family there. So it's all going to work out. I'm going to get on the road and... Uh, I'm going to be all in. I just uh, can't wait to cut myself loose in this mountains and um, see what I'm made of. It's like a it's like it's a true test um, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally. Uh, and I, I know I know it's going to test me as a human being. And uh, that's that's what I'm here for. That's what I've been training all year for is these hardships. I know, you know, running every single day and running big elevation and I'm not very good at it tapering or, um, you know, I, I, I told you guys, I think at the last podcast that I was going to taper and, uh, I wasn't going to run the last couple days leading up. And I don't know. I just have my body every day ready for that exertion. It's just normal. I can do three to 5,000 feet vertical a day. I can do 10 miles a day and I'm not going to be blown up the next day. So, um, yeah, I, I really have some good stamina built up. I feel really good. I'm healthy. I uh, just couldn't be any better. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait to cut my legs loose. I'm sure you guys are super excited for the hunts. Let's get into this podcast. I'm rambling on. Uh, so Dale Perry is just a great guy. He's got a great product, Evolution Outdoors, and uh, this conversation's all about broadhead. So here we go. Eastman's Elevated. Oh, I almost forgot we have a promo code for the podcast. So if you go to Evolution Outdoors, purchase their broadheads, you can take 10% off your order by typing in EBJ2019. Uh, thanks, guys. Let's get to the podcast. 
Okay, I'm live. I've got Dale Perry on the line. Uh, Dale Perry from Evolution Outdoors. Thanks for taking the time, Dale. Yeah, it's great to be here, Brian. Yeah, um, so I'm so impressed. I'm about ready to sell you on your own broadhead. So you're uh, the founder of Evolution Outdoors, and you've got a couple new broadheads out on the market. And then you came up with the design of the Gravedigger broadhead, which I've been using for the last uh, six seasons, five seasons, something like that. So um, I was really excited to get these in my hands, and uh, you've outdone yourself on these broadheads. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. We've... uh... I think the whole the whole concept behind these were to make them um, simpler, I guess, more consistent is what we were looking for, and um, I I think we've achieved it with with a couple extra you know a few things that ended up being part of just the development of it, being able to switch them. So yeah, that. I cannot wait to run these through a critter. So I've been testing them like crazy, getting ready. I've got a couple back-to-back muley hunts coming up, uh, high country one in Colorado and one in Wyoming. So I've been testing like crazy. So, you know, I'm an expandable guy, and I loved your expandable. So the the Grave Digger, you came out with a two-blade expandable, and it was the most aerodynamic broadhead that I had ever seen just because – the blades don't stick out very far. They tuck way into the ferrule in there. And so it exposes like maybe five eighths of the blade if you were to take like a diameter of it. But it's so small where it comes out, it's not that long. So I found like, you know, and even shooting expandables, there's a difference in the way they fly. And we were talking right before the podcast. And forgiveness is the most important thing to me. I don't want a finicky flyer and in those broadheads those two blades just fit the bill for me like they were so aerodynamic and flew so well but you know i was always wanted to do a little bit more damage on elk and so then you had the hybrid was which was like the first broadhead of its type which was a hybrid of a of a uh, a fixed and an expandable and i don't want to talk all about the old design because the newer one is so much better but that that design you you combined like an inch fixed blade head which was a small short aerodynamic fixed blade head and then you had like the inch and five eighths opening blades on the expandable so i love those things too they did a bunch of damage in elk and so now you you've gone back to the drawing board and you've recreated these broadheads and um Man, I mean the two-blade expandable. So you got the Jekyll and Hyde. So the Jekyll is the fixed blade. The Hyde is the expandable. And so that that Hyde, that expandable, you've still got those two blades that tuck in there. You've done away – you used to have to set the tension on those broadheads. Uh, you've done away with the tension, and you've got like a perfect opening broadhead every single time with your design the way you do it. But then I just love you've got this – this blade on the front that's a cut on contact, three quarter inch fixed blade. So this is also like a hybrid, but it's a three quarter fixed blade that had that's super sharp on the front and on the back, and it's short and comes to a point. Man, I am just so impressed with these. So like when you run that, it's gonna open a really good hole on the entry, you know. So you're gonna get a better blood trail with that fixed. And then those expandables opening up are going to do so much damage inside. And I was getting great penetration on these things, shooting them at angles, and they're just as forgiving with that that low profile. So, man, I mean, I don't want to talk the whole time, Dale, but I am so <laughs> impressed with these broadheads, man. Well, it's funny. You, you've touched on a few things that, you know, I've tried to address over the years when I, when I first designed the Grave Diggers. You know, it was it was a new concept, even though there had been hybrids, but we really set the industry standard. And, um, you know, the locking system worked really well. And so now if you look in the landscape, there's a lot of different hybrids on the market. So um, I tried to create a new broadhead for everything that I couldn't do the first time. So. Now with Evolution Outdoors and 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 being the Jekyll and Hyde, we'll we'll start with the Hyde because the expandable is is in all reality where my passion is also, and so that was the broadhead that I created first. And so when I designed it, the things that I took from my original design to this was I wanted a stronger front blade, more compact. 
Um, I wasn't really worried about the width of it. We were playing with, we played with a bunch of different, you know, from really, really small, which is what some other companies have done. And we, we wanted something that was going to create damage and could take the impact. So we expanded the thickness of the blade to 60 thousandths. And so from 40 thousandths originally, and it just makes that blade so strong. And then we did, uh, a friend of mine's in, in aerospace, and we did some wind tunnel simulations in, on some computers, and having the blades curve on the inside, curve in, where the, where the front of the blade curves out, but on the back side where they curve in, it creates a more aerodynamic flight profile. And sharpening that on the back was something that uh, came from um, just seeing if this was even possible to do and our manufacturer could make it. So I wanted something that was going to do damage going in and do damage coming out because everybody doesn't get a pass through, you know? So those, those were the things that I looked at. And then the locking system was something that I just had always thought about, but never could really put it together. And uh, with the help of AAE, who's uh, been in the business for a long time, who's our manufacturer here in um, Arizona, up in Prescott, uh, Nick Fisher and I sat down and we went over uh, my thoughts and, you know, what they could make and what we could machine and the locking pins and that they're making. And so we created this system that was super consistent. I mean, every single time. Blades locked, blades deployed every single time, from low poundage to high poundage to fast. I mean, we have we're, we have a crossbow version that we'll probably launch next week, and uh, that we've done testing. So we're at 440 feet per second. So it has just been super, super fun being able to create the exact thing that I wanted in hunting, and obviously it just has blossom from there yeah well that's what i like so much it's like um you're so passionate about bow hunting in fact you know we've been trying to connect on this podcast and you've been bow hunting and i've been bow hunting but i just love that it's designed by a bow hunter for a bow hunter and yeah those I can tell the work you did on the aerodynamics in those wind tunnels just because I take measurements and how the blade tapers back in. There's such an aerodynamic broadhead and such an improvement from the grave diggers because now you got that front blade. I was always with that two blade a little nervous shooting it into elk. I just wanted to do more damage and not that two blade killed everything for me. I killed you know, 30 critters with it. So I trusted it, but I just like that that front blade is sharpened on the front and the back does damage going in. You're going to get a better blood trail. And, and once you get that arrow into an animal, like, I think you have a better chance of killing that animal. Like I'm all about accuracy. And so I love aerodynamics. I love, if I can hit that animal where I want to hit him, he dies every time, you know, no matter what I hit him with. And so, but then you want like that margin for error. So it's not a perfect game. Animals jump strings, yardages. You're you're in the fog of adrenaline. Like sometimes you don't hit that six inch vital or that eight inch vital, or you just hit the edge. And that's where that broad, where it, an expandable does more damage. You got a better chance of getting that animal. And now with your blades on the front, sharpened front and back, three quarter little one, you get an arrow into that thing. You got a higher percentage of, of getting that animal just from the damage it's going to do in there as it as it's going around. So I just think um, all around, like it's designed by a bow hunter for a bow hunter is going to give you better odds of getting that animal through accuracy, through forgiveness, and also through damage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it. We, we actually experienced it just this last hunt in Utah. We went, uh, everybody in camp was shooting, um, either the Jekyll or the Hyde. Everybody had both in because they, they fly basically exactly the same. But, um, we had uh, one of the guys in camp, shot a buck and shot him high quarter and two. So the arrow actually went into that. And I, I hate using the term, but that no man's land underneath the spine above the vitals. But because the animal was quartering to him, it basically just went in there and buried up to the flesh. Well, when the animal took off running, it really wasn't a lethal shot, but as he ran, it just cut him trying to work its way back out. And he found it 250 yards away. 
So that's what that design is for. It is designed to do as much damage as possible, whether it's in the animal or, or not, and transitioning that to the Jekyll broadhead, which is our fixed, we did the same thing. We sharpened the blade all the way around. So if uh, if you look at that being a fixed, which originally we never sold the fixed-bladed archers. You know, we sold strictly a hybrid and... Now with the with the Jekyll being all fixed, we've really had a great demand for it, and um, we killed three of the five animals we killed in camp were killed with the Jekyll, and the results have just spoken for themselves. They've been uh, that's a, that's another broadhead. You get that broadhead in an animal, that animal's dead. If that broadhead does not go all the way through it, there's no way that animal survives. Yeah, because man. it's cutting both blades. Every every time the animal moves, moves is cutting them. Absolutely, yeah. No, I believe that wholeheartedly. And so, not being a fixed guy, because I I never like like they're just finicky, you know. They like when you miss the target at eight inch, you know, four inches with an expandable. It seems like it wants to miss at eight with a fix. Like they just were never forgiving. Now they improve the designs, and you can get extreme accuracy with them. They get more wind drift than an expandable because there's more air surface there. And so, you know, when you really work with it, you can get a really good flying fix. And so, you know, in Idaho, I have to hunt with a fix, and I am so excited for your fixed broadhead because you're right. They shoot the exact same as that expandable. So I can tell you you've had them in the, the same chamber with those things, like looking how the air passes – through the blades and so you've got that same three quarters sharpened both ways on the front and then on the back you turned it the other way so it's almost like a four blade and those blades go out to an inch and you're right sharpen front and back but they're only out at an inch at the widest point and they taper back both ways in those shorter it's less surface area it's less air to catch therefore they're a more forgiving shooting broadhead you know so um, dude, I pulled these things out and you're right. Like I, I keep hitting those dang expandables in my target at long distances because those things fly so good. So I'm super psyched on your fixed as well. And I shot those, the hybrid grave diggers for elk and I really like the damage they did. Um, I really like your fixed. I'm going to have a tough decision to make here come elk season, whether I'm going to shoot those expandables and fix. Now, I'll shoot the fixed in Idaho, of course, because law requires it and super psych for them. But in Montana, I'm going to have to weigh my options because you're right. You get that four blade sharpened both ways. You get that thing anywhere in an animal, and that thing's going to die, and especially elk that can be so tough. I mean, oh. you get a one lung on an elk, he can go forever. You get that shot that's on the liver that comes out low and back, not even guts, just liver. Those elk, I've had one alive the next day, you know? It's oh, like yeah. crazy, man. And so okay. like that that fix that you came up with, I am just in an, just as impressed with that one. And, and I get it for the fix, guys. So expandables, you know – the downside is, is, is no matter how good you make them, they take energy as they're going in, you know, and so you're trying to get the most penetration you can. Fixed, you know, you don't have any of that, that opening up that takes any energy from your arrow. Also, you know, you, you're never going to have to worry about your expandables opening, and ever after killing so many animals, like, I just trust expandables. They open every time when you get a good one, you know, when you have a good brand you're using, and so I don't worry about it, but I get it for those fixed guys as it is another moving part on their bow. It is another piece of gear that they have to trust that's going to operate correctly. So some fixed guys just don't want to worry about it. They want to shoot a fixed broadhead and shoot them in, and yours is a great option for that, man. Yeah, it's um, you had mentioned uh, about you know good shots and bad shots. Broadheads aren't about ever about your good shots. They're about your bad shots, and that forgiveness is is part of that, and you know, with the design of, of these broadheads, with the, especially the hide, they're designed not to really drain energy because they cut the skin. I mean, 90% of the expandables that are out there have a blunt edge. They have that dull edge, and, and they're triggered by hitting the skin, and whether they rotate open or push back or expand – that's what slows them down. That's what drains in ener energy. And the hide is designed to 
very similar to the Gravedigger. It's designed to go in and follow the skin back. And so it actually doesn't get the energy doesn't get drained on the skin because it's penetrating the skin because usually that's the biggest part that drains energy. And on quartering shots, there's been some chatter on, you know, there's a couple other brands that are out there and they, they push their tip of their broadhead, their ferrule way past the end of their blade, their kickout blades. And we haven't done that. Our tip is just barely past, but we don't need to do it. In this design, on a quartering shot, um, their their concept is to get the tip in and then let the let the expandables expand once they hit the skin. Well, our design isn't that. Our design is even on a hard quartering shot, it's going to penetrate no matter what because the blades are sharp. So the blades are designed to penetrate anyway. So if the kickout blade hits first, it doesn't matter. All it's going to do is penetrate. Oh, you're so right, Dale. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So I did. I've been shooting your broadheads like crazy here. Um, but like I did uh, hard angle shots. And yeah, you're right. That tip just dives right in. And even if it hits that blade, because that was something, you know, that I had heard before, too, that you want that tip way far out, you know, in front of that. And so when I tested those things in different targets and hard surfaces, they dive right in. That arrow just drives them right in. And also, you've designed a cut on contact tip. That cut on contact tip. It is the best penetrating tip you can have on any. That's why all the recurve guys shoot a cut on contact two blade broadhead, you know, because they're the best penetrating broadheads. And so I love what you're saying about the expandables, how they're closer up, how they open with the skin. And you're absolutely right. That cut on contact you put on the front drives that broadhead in there because that's the other necessary component of a good broadhead is good penetration. You want pass-throughs if you can get them. You know, you want to drive that arrow deep into that animal or get through a shoulder bone or whatever. And, yeah, testing your broadhead, it tested better. Like, I, I found that that expandable was driving just as deep as that fixed blade was on, on uh, my different surfaces. So you're right. You're not using much energy on that thing, or we're not you, you're not using any energy to open those expandables. They're really penetrating well. And, and I tried to put them up against just a standard, like, three-blade fixed and put them up against um, – I put them up against your old grave diggers. They penetrate better than your old grave diggers, which is a really good sign, man. So, yeah, I'm just – I'm super pumped on them. Yeah, we're we're we've had some great success. I mean, if you guys have followed us on Instagram or um, or Facebook things this year because obviously we just launched them. We're, we've had a lot of people that have have been you know fans of my designs from the past that have come come back and looked at these and and our overwhelming thing is how consistent they are. Um, and how consistent they are in, in manufacturing, how consistent they are in deployment, in flight. Um, and deployment was always good, be, is, is always the thing that I focused on because with the Gravedigger design, yes, you had to adjust them. So people would say, hey, you know, I, they were too tight or I made them too loose or they didn't deploy. Well, that aspect is, is you don't have to think about it anymore. You set them, you forget them. They come ready to hunt and um when you do shoot something you're going to know that it deployed because they may be closed but that pin that that polymer pin that's in there is now marred it won't hold those blades shut anymore so you know that those blades opened and yes. so there's no guesswork anymore that yeah, makes sense completely out of it well, guys always like to blame it on the broadhead, too, oh, yes. you know? And so, like, this is no just problem. a way – like, you don't – like, I know those things are going to open every time because I'm an expandable guy, and it's all about the place you hit them. But, yeah, if a guy loses an animal or doesn't get it, you know, the first thing he's going to do is try to blame the broadhead. And it doesn't matter what type, what brand, what what anything, but it's all shot placement, you know? The expandables – um and, and the bigger cuts, they give you a better chance to get your animals if you don't make a perfect shot. But yeah, I I like the design. I um like you say, it's set at the right tension every single time. You don't got to worry about it. 
you got replacement pins, you know, so, you know, you you shoot it at something, you can put in a replacement pin, and then you just don't have to worry about it or how is your tension set. It's just set it's set up for you to go out. All the testing, all the thinking's been done. Trust your broadhead and hold your pin in the middle. Yeah, and and one of the things, I mean, even in testing when we first started and we start, first had the design, uh, my original goal was to have – be able to put a steel pin in there and shoot them in a practice mode. But, and, and we were able to achieve that, but we were hand grinding the blades and to make them work. And so we thought in production, we can make that happen, but we figured the best way or, or ended up being the best way to keep those blades consistent was when you compress that pin that's in there, it expands up into the bottom of the blades. Well, obviously a steel pin doesn't do that. So now I've created a practice blade and I can do that for one reason. And so let's transition from the hide, which is the mechanical, to the Jekyll, which is the fixed, and being able to switch blades between the ferrules. So that was the whole idea because not only blade design, but ferrule design is what makes it consistent. So you've either had to have a different ferrule to shoot a mechanical or, you know, a different ferrule for a fix. Now that those ferrules are the same, we can do that. And now you're, it's so consistent, but in making the hide, um, sorry, making the Jekyll, we came up, I came up with a design and said, Hey, I can make a fixed, a fixed, We'll call it a fix, but it's a fixed practice head or practice blade that will slide in these. And you could actually shoot it with the Jekyll or the Hyde. Now, okay, that being said, it's going to fly the same as either. And so it can be your dedicated practice head, and it's designed to mimic the blades of the Hyde. It's 60,000. It fits right in the slot just like the Jekyll blade does. Um, the front edges are sharpened. It just doesn't expand. So... And and that's a that's something that most people miss the boat on. When they create practice blades for a lot of these heads, they're not sharpened in the front, so they don't fly the same. Ours are actually going to be sharpened. Well, it won't expand because it'll be a one-piece blade. But anybody that has purchased a hide will get, you know, they're on our email list, and they will get a practice blade in the mail. And then once we get them, probably in a couple weeks, they will be included in every three pack. Dale, all the thinking's been done, man. I mean, that would be like my one request, you know, is for those fixed uh, for uh, practice heads, you know, so right. you don't don't got to trade them out every time. So yeah, man, um, that's great. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, I hope I'm high on that email list. <laughs> <laughs> no, no that's... they uh, the rest of the Eastman's crew have, have uh, kind of lit up my phone saying where are so. Or um, you, you are on the front of that list right now, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks a bunch. Yeah. Um, no, what great thinking. You're right. That's where broadhead companies have missed the boat. Like to to be really good with your gear, you know, you, you've got to be shooting those broadheads and getting a feel for them, make sure they're hitting in your groups, make sure your bow's tuned right. Like it, it's so important to be shooting broadheads before season. So, yeah, to have those practice heads where you can shoot them over and over and over again and they're going to hold up to abuse – um, yeah, that's worth their weight in gold. Yeah, we're really excited about that part because being that that slot is a consistent 62,000 thick um, or wide, we can make that 60,000 practice blade and it'll be the same weight, same everything as both. And you'll be able to just use it as a practice head. Man, that's perfect. Um, gosh, you've come out with a great product. It's so nice, like you say, that you can't, you kept the same ferrule for the fixed and for the expandable. So you worked really hard on your ferrule, one that would be consistent, one that would penetrate well, one that would, would fly well. And so that's where you were getting a lot of con your consistency. And this is what you were talking about is that you just made it where you can shoot, like it's the same ferrule for the fixed and the expandable uh, or the hybrid, let me call it. I keep calling it expandable, but it is a hybrid with that three-quarter tip. Um, but you can shoot either one with that same consistent ferrule. I just think that's so cool, that design that you came up with. How long have you been working on these things? Um, over a little over a year now. Um, basically, uh, it started, I guess not, yeah, 
It started in July of last year. We started uh, doing the prototyping and, and everything. It was a, a concept that I had had way back when, but never could get it to that level. And then uh, really started working on it hard in July of last year. And so we went through hunting season and, and had some successes with prototypes that we kind of kept quiet, but, um, and had some issues. We did have some issues. So, you know, we learned a lot and, uh, being able to come out with this, with this design all at once, um, has been, uh, it's kind of been a dream to, to just get it going and, the amount of machining and precision that it took to be able to switch the blades that that has been the one thing that people I don't know if they grasp but um, it's so hard I mean most manufacturing tolerances are are you know plus or minus five thousandths well I mean five thousandths seems like a big number but a human hair is three thousandths thick so we actually have dropped our tolerances in our ferrule down to plus or minus one. So it's basically less than a half a human hair. And that has been the key, keeping them here, you know, in the U.S., building them, you know, having these ferrules designed here in Prescott uh, with an archery company that really understands bow hunting and understands the perfection of it. Um and that's what's made it consistent is uh, slower machine times cost more money. But at the end of the day, how many broadheads do you actually shoot at animals? Um, and, and you can spend thousands of dollars in optics and thousands of dollars on hunts and thousands of dollars on bows and all the stuff you do and, and, don't skimp on the price of your broadheads because that's the part that actually kills the animal. Man, yeah. Um, you hit the nail on the head. It couldn't be more true. Like that, And just the flight of those things. Like I was out – I mean my bow is so dialed in right now, you know. Like I've been antelope hunting. I killed an antelope. You know, I think I've got uh, – you know, Hawaii before that, New Zealand before, like the bow is shooting and still like, um, you know, a perfectly tuned bow for giving setup. I bring out some of those big expandables and it's crazy like, like that they don't hit the dot or don't hit the center and just testing them versus yours, the way they're designed, like that fixed, you didn't sacrifice anything by using the same ferrule. Like you said, how tough it was to make that fixed blade. Like either one of these broadheads stand up on their very own without the other. Like you're fixed that way it's designed. So aerodynamic and so forgiving, you know, that I'd shoot that at any critter out there, you know. And same thing with that hybrid. That three-quarter tip on the front, like it's it's so aerodynamic, it flies so good, and you're just going to get extra cut and extra damage when it hits it, man. I, I just can't wait to put these in use this season for for deer, for elk, um, man, and just see what they do. But I am super excited. And, and the penetration, too, that cut-on-contact fixed blade tip, um, man, that thing's just going to be awesome. And I also like um, – I like your honesty when you talk about testing, like last season, trying to develop these broadheads, testing, and some issues you had. Like that's how you get a superior product is by improving the design. Like you you do all the testing and thinking, and, and then you have to go out and see what it does in real field in real conditions. And to be able to step back after you've already you've already got everything set to make it. You've already got everything set for the company, and you just go – no, that's not quite right. I mean, maybe it's one in a hundred times or one in a thousand that it happens, but you know, our reputation is on the line. We got to make sure that we're building the absolute best heads, you know, not only for everybody else, but for yourself as well. Like if I was designing a broadhead for myself, like I just want to know that, that everyone is, is absolutely correct. And, and like you say, the tolerances of those ferals to half a human hair for each one, like that's the kind of consistency that I like, you know, and you're right. We put so much into these hunts, not only the money we spend, but the, the time and the effort and the preparing all year for that one chance to loose an arrow. Yeah. To spend an extra five bucks on a broadhead is nothing to give yourself a better chance at hitting that thing perfect or to give yourself a better chance at, at killing that animal if you do get narrow in it. So I, I'm with you 100%.
Yeah, and it, and it has it's been fun. I mean, it's hard because exactly what you said. You get everything going, and you think this works, and and you you know you've had a hundred percent success, you know, over and let's say to say a small number of five or six hunts, and you're thinking, man, everything's working great, and then all of a sudden on two you have an issue, and you're like, what in the world happened? So you have to step back and be able to say, okay, we can't do that. You know, I have. Uh, I have a few things in the garage people would like to go through my garage saying, well, this is the way it was and this is the way it is. And so, uh, yeah, you just, you have to be able to do that. And that's, that's a benefit of a small company. I mean, it really is. I mean, you, you can make those adjustments and, and being, you know, being able to do that. I always strive to make things better. So we've actually, I just met, Friday with the company here and you know because we've been buying off-the-shelf screws for our products and we and so one's custom made but we're actually taking all three of our screws and having them custom made here here in my town Goodyear Arizona um, they're a big company and they do a lot of aerospace stuff so they're going to be making all our screws here in the next couple weeks so just more consistency is what we're looking for man attention to detail I like it yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so you started off, you just got done with a hunt in Utah. Um, what, what else do you got coming up, Dale? Um, we have a archery gear here started in Arizona. It's an over the counter tag. I didn't draw any tags here. Um, I'm probably going to try to go hunt in, uh, California in a week. Um, just go do a three day hunt. I have a good friend of mine that owns some property there. And then I have Alaska in November. Then I'm going to go to, we're going to hunt uh, Sitka Blacktail and Caribou. Um, I've killed a couple. We've been, this is the fourth time, and I've killed a couple, three Sitka Blacktails, but nothing big. So um, in Eastman's last year, I had uh, where I went out and I shot um, all five species of the, the Grand Slam for deer in six months. And two of them made Boone and Crockett. And my goal is to get a Boone and Crockett of each species you know, for a final that I can, that I can have. So I have, uh, I have the blacktail sick or the California blacktail and the mule deer and Boone and Crockett. And so I have to kill the other three now, whitetail, coos deer and sick of blacktail and Boone and Crockett. So. Okay. Yeah. You got a couple of the tough ones out of the way for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's the only one I'm missing from my Grand Slam is the Sitka Blacktail. I gotta go hunt those things. And I've been hunting Alaska like the last handful of seasons. Um, but that November rut hunt for those things, um, that, that looks like it's right up my alley. That looks like fun. It is fun. It's, you know, we do, we do drop camp out on, we're on, we, we hunt on Kodiak Island. So it has a special, special, uh, people or not people, but, uh, animals there that we have to deal with, <laughs> deal with bears, but, uh, it's a fun hunt. I mean, it really is. It, it, it wears you out. The only problem is going in November is you can get weathered in for a few days. So you have to be flexible and, you know, you have to like the guys you're going with cause you may be in a tent with them for three days. So, um, but it's a it's a fun hunt. It's demanding, and um, I'm looking forward to it. I look forward to it every time we go. Man, yeah. Uh, well, I've also thought about hunting them in August, but yeah, that just sounds brutal. Like a uh, Kodiak, that coastal weather in November. Like I'm sure, like you could spend your whole uh, trip in a tent if you time it wrong. You know, I'm sure that yeah. weather is a major factor out there. But yeah, it looks so fun out there. Like you say, you got the brown bears to contend with, um, but you can get multiple tags, and their their prices have gone up. But um, man, oh Still. man, that looks like fun. I really got to try it. I know, you know, I've, I've talked to Cole Kramer a time or two, and he's invited me to go up there, or at least uh, set me up with some places to go backpack into. I've got to take him up and go do that. That looks like so much fun, and I love the species. Like I yeah. grew up hunting uh, Columbia blacktails on the Washington coast. And um, I just love the similarities like between their horns and then they're, they're such a, like a stocky deer and uh kind of darker black coloration. Um, just a beautiful deer. Um, they really look like fun to hunt, man. I got to try that. 
Yeah, they're they're. I mean, their antlers are coos deer style. I mean, they're coos deer size. They're not real big, but they're uh, and, and they're short and stocky. Is exactly what they are. They've got little bit short legs, and uh, they're you know a fairly good sized body. But when we went in August two years ago, that was it was an issue. So you actually have to be higher up because in the lower lands, so we we flew into a lake. The foliage that was there was over our heads. We would glass a deer. When we first got there, we couldn't figure it out. We would glass a deer, and I mean, that deer would disappear, like, in the glass. And it'd be like, what just happened? You know, where did he go? And so, not to pop out or not to be, you know, oh, well, there he is. He's 10 feet over. I mean, gone. (laughs) Not to be found again. And we could not figure it out. So as we started going up the mountain, we found that this foliage was six to eight feet high. So the deer would get inside there and just there's tunnels everywhere. And it was the strangest thing. So that part, that part was challenging. Oh, that's wild. And so that brush or that foliage must lose all its leaves in the fall. And and then those deer can't hide in that. Is that right? It down. Yeah, it lays down. Oh, what okay. It's cold, and then it just dies off and lays down. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. And you talk about the antlers being coup size, but you know, there's something just to about like the whole adventure of it, like traveling to a different place, hunting a different species. And I find like I go down to Arizona and hunt coups every year during the rut. Um, I, I just absolutely love it down there, and it seems. Like, you know, down there, um, different than the black, t- you know, it's a desert environment. It's dry. Mm-hmm. It's nice weather. Uh, you have to live and die behind your glass. But as you start to hunt a different species, like you start to really get into it, you know. And so those coos, you're looking so hard for a mature buck and they're rutting. And so they're constantly traveling and you're trying to catch up to them and seeing good ones in your glass. Like all of a sudden you start to get this appreciation for the species. And so even a coos deer, you start to see a, a hundred incher or a hundred and ten incher after looking over a bunch of sixty fives, like it's this dominant, mature male <laughs> animal of the species. You know, he's wide and he's like all of a sudden you've been looking over a hundred of them, but this is like that. This is like the the specimen of the species. You know, this is like the uh-huh. one that grew to full maturity. And so now all of a sudden I've got this 110 inch whitetail rack and I'm as nervous as I'd be on a 180 inch muley just because I'm so invested in the experience and the place I am in the in the species. So even with with smaller size horns on those blacktails, I think I'd really get into it. You know, the frames on them and the different sizes. Is he a three, a four point or whatever? I think it'd be really fun. It is. It it is. And and we've had, you know, I've. I've friends with a lot of the major outfitters here in, in Arizona and so many times they've had guys come that are hunting coos deer and they in the August hunts or I mean and now and they're sitting water and the guy says you know guy comes to pick him up and he says well I didn't see anything big enough to shoot you know I saw some small ones and they never did their research on what size the coos deer is they pull the camera and there's some hundred inch bucks that have walked in for a whitetail guy that's a little bitty deer, and so they didn't think they were big enough. Oh, no. It, it happens all the time. So in the species that you're you're hunting, um, understanding what you're going after is huge. It happened to me when I drew my strip tag here in Arizona, which is pretty much the most coveted tag you can draw for mule deer. And I was with... Uh, a friend of mine who's an outfitter, Mossback, and we drove around and, and he's, I saw a 180 inch buck and he, I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, every day. And he says, you wouldn't shoot that buck on the last day here. I'm like, what? <laughs> so you have to understand what you're looking for. And, uh, it happens all the time. And, uh, so knowing, you know, that's, that's my thing, knowing what you're looking for. When you go into a hunt, especially in a species that you haven't hunted before or in an area that the potential is so much greater, yeah, you need to know. Yeah, well, and your expectations needs to match your opportunity. Just like that strip tag, you know, your expectations are higher. You've waited years to draw that tag, 
and, and the potential is in there. There's giant ones in oh, yeah. there, you know. So so therefore you set your standards a little higher, you know. And and I'm with you hunting new species. It's such a great experience for me because you're right. You you have to study up and 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 look at try to try to tell what the difference is between a mature one and a young one, a male, a female, like hunting hunting tar trying to learn right. how to judge their horns and and like you say um hunting coos deer trying to figure it out or even like this latest trip to hawaii axis deer you know that's really tough and you can look at all these different ones you talk to everybody you try to get a good feel for it but it's always if you're a new species you just got to see some of them you just got to watch them and be with them for a handful of days before you can really start to grasp what you're looking at when it's when it's totally new like the the mouflon sheep this year, you know, it's like you just you got to look at a few and know what what their potential is or or can be, you know. And like I, um, Remy was over there and hunting in the same camp with us, and he passed a pretty good ram on the first or second day that he brought back a picture. And like you say, the Hawaii guy said, "Yeah, that's a shooter. That's a three quarter curl. That's a big <laughs> one, you know." And and he had passed it, you know, and then he had to work hard the whole rest of the hunt and never got another opportunity, you know. That oh, yeah. was his his chance so you're right like um you got to do your research and then um but it, it's fun kind of preparing for it and knowing what you're looking for caribou is another one they're tough to yeah. judge you know or any of those species really yeah yeah and in in design i mean in in going to the broadhead design people have asked well would, would you shoot it at this animal would you shoot it at that animal there's not a there's not a north american animal that I would even hesitate to shoot the hide, which is our expandable, um, at whether it's moose or elk or anything else here in North America, um, because the confidence and the production and the detail that goes into these heads uh, and the strength. I mean, how I test broadheads, I shoot them into a block wall and, um, you know, at 10 yards. And so uh, they – Obviously, it doesn't have to be a perfect broadhead when it comes out, but it has to stay intact and it has to be able to handle the impact and still do its job, you know, and that impact would be a shoulder plate or, you know, something I, I with expandable broadheads or with the grave digger, which is basically the same structure, um, just not built as well, then uh, – People have shot through shoulder plates and everything. Now, if you hit a moose in the knuckle or if you hit an elk right in the knuckle, it doesn't matter what you're shooting. You can shoot two-bladed anything. If you don't have the kinetic energy, you're not going to get through it. So, uh, But other than that, I mean, like I tell people, pick the one you're comfortable with and go with, go with it because we're 100% confident that you can shoot any animal here in North America with them. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. So, um, you know, I think I almost misstated earlier, like everybody has to make their own decision at what they're going to shoot. But I have shot expandables at the biggest game animals, whether that's elk or, you know, I've had them up moose hunting. And, and between me and my circle of friends and elk and how many I've seen die with an expandable, it, it's just um, elk. It's all about placement. You know, your broadhead gives you a better chance at getting them, but it, it's all about placement. And you hit those elk right, it's science. Lungs, heart, or liver that, you know, they don't make it, you know. And, and yours being such a forgiving shooter, I have always chose to, to shoot expandables at, at elk, and it just it doesn't scare me a bit. They do so much damage. I think you got a better chance at getting them you know, than a lot of the smaller diameter fixed blades just because they do more damage going in, too. I those, agree with that. <laughs> those blades, yeah, they open wider. They do more damage in there, you know, so you get more damage, more bang for your buck, you know. So, yeah, I would not be scared to shoot your your uh, hybrid at any animal in North America, and I would shoot it with confidence at those animals. So I think you're spot on. Yeah, yeah, and that, and, and we get the question all the time. I mean, it's, it's the 100%, you know, the question. Um, the other thing that, that comes up and, and this is, and it's my take and, and it's, it's an interesting take. So blade sharpness, blade sharpness has, has always been a, um, a stickler for some guys. Well, it's gotta be razor, razor sharp. Like you could shave with it and this, that, and another, um, Razors are designed to cut hair off your face. That's it. They're designed for surgery. 
and the scalpel sharpness. They're not designed to kill stuff. And the reason for this, and again, this is my take, and it's a take for if you go back and you talk to a lot of other people, broadheads need to be sharp. There's no doubt about it. That being said, the sharper they are, the less material there is on that leading edge. So if you take a broadhead that's sharp and you start sharpening it, sharpening it, sharpening it until you have zero material so it's so thin that that's great when you don't hit anything. But when you hit a bone, that material tends to roll over. And I'm not talking cup down, but I'm talking about dull up because there's no material there. Um, and you can do that. And that's one of the things that we've tried to do. We've tried to make our blades consistently sharp. Um, but we want to know when they hit a bone and they cut through the bone, they're still going to be sharp on the other side. And so, you know, we've had people say, well, these aren't as sharp as I would like. Shoot something with them. See the damage that they do. See that they don't get dull when you shoot it through a bone, because if a broadhead is too, too sharp, that means there's no material there. It has to get super thin to get that sharp. And so it can't handle going through bone. Oh, that's, that brings up a really good point, Dale. I hadn't really thought about it, you know. I To me, it hasn't been an issue for me, like how sharp or, you know, you look at the old obsidian broadheads that I find yeah. everywhere. Even like, you know, I've used old monotechs and, you know, things of that nature. But you're right. When I look and when I assess your blade, it's stout, you know. It's going to hold up to the abuse. And also, like to say they're not sharp enough is ridiculous. Those things are super sharp <laughs> yeah, on all sides. They're just... It's not like a razor blade, like you're saying. You have an, and and that makes total sense that you when you try to make them too sharp, there's no material there, and that's when you shoot through things and you're getting dings or or nicks and missing blades, and it just makes them more fragile. So what you've built is a stout blade, and like what I compare it to is like instead of using, um, you know, it's it's not it's not like a razor blade, but it's like your very best sharpest knife. You know, it's your best elk knife or your best deer knife, pocket knife that you'd ever take that's super, super sharp, but it's more of a stout blade that you can use to almost pry against or use to push around. Like, that's what your your broadheads remind me of. So they're super sharp, but I can tell they're just stout. So that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I mean, and you can, you can equate it to exactly what you said, that your, your favorite knife, I have an Alaskan guide knife that I use a lot, and then I have you know, some of the replaceable blade knives that are out there for skinning and stuff. But, you know, those knives may feel a little sharper, but I'm, I'm going through two or three blades to get through an animal where I can, I can cave a whole animal or, you know, skin a whole animal with my Alaskan guide just because, yeah, it may not be quite as sharp, but obviously it does a job, but it holds that edge longer. And, and those are the things, um, that, that I see and I noticed in, in, in designing these blades is, is having something that that structure is there. So when you hit something and it gets on the other side of that shoulder plate or the other side of those ribs or through that femur or whatever it is, it still does the damage on the other side. And, and, there was a there was a thing on sharpness and, and a guy said, you know, it's gotta be razor sharp because it's gotta cut an artery. Well, I mean you're talking about a, something that's going two hundred and fifty or three hundred feet per second, you know, with an X amount of kinetic energy. You know, it's it's like when you're in your office and you cut yourself on a piece of paper and you look down and you're bleeding and you like go, Oh man, wow, that's crazy and you look and you have this cut. Well, animals do the same thing. If it's too sharp and it doesn't have any impact that they don't know they've been hit. So you keep working, you put a little piece of tape on it or Band-Aid and you keep working. You hit yourself in the finger with a hammer, it may not bleed as much, but you're going to go sit down and you're going to stop working. And that's the kind of impact that you want with a broadhead. I've had so many people say, hey, I made a bad shot, but your broadhead saved me because the animal went, laid down because it did so much damage. I could sneak in and shoot it again. Yeah, that's it. Um 
Yeah, they're plenty sharp for me. I think they're designed perfect. I can tell that you paid attention to the details on these broadheads in the design and also in the evolution of them, of, of using them and improving them. So, yeah, dude, I'm just super stoked to go shoot these things at a mule deer here in about a week or so. So I'm going to get you some pictures when I get back, but uh, I have complete faith and trust in these broadheads, and uh, I am really excited to use them this season. So, yeah, I can't wait to, to see more of the critters that hit your uh, social media and uh, some ones that hit mine, hopefully, too. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it, Brian, and uh, working with the Eastman's guys, and it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun year. Yeah, thanks so much. We appreciate the relationship, the support of the podcast. Um, good hunting this season, and uh, we'll keep in touch, and I'm going to post some pictures up so the guys can see these broadheads, uh, both the Jekyll and the Hyde. Okay. Uh, you offer them in 100s, 125s, 150s. Uh, do you sell them per six or per three, or how are you going to do that? You start off with the three-pack, and it comes with a broadhead case. Um, so that's your minimum order, then you can buy one at a time after that. Oh, yeah, cool. So right on. By four, five, six. And and like I mentioned earlier, we will have an actual crossbow head that uh, we've already designed. It's already in production. Uh, it's at anodizing right now. And it is the same design that, that everything else is. It is just the wider 350 thousandths wide to match a crossbow uh, arrows diameter. So those uh, those crossbows will be heads will be available probably next week. Oh, cool. And uh, where's the best place to get your broadheads? Uh, right now, we're at evolutionoutdoors.com, and uh, we sell direct to consumer. And we probably won't be going into retail shops for a while. There'll be a few that uh, maybe help me help me start off in the beginning years ago. But uh, that's where you're going to be able to get it because we can um, we can be able to offer the best customer service um, that that there is selling direct to our consumers. Yeah. Well, um, guys, make sure to go check them out. I'm super impressed. It's what I'll be shooting this season. Deer, elk. Um, I like both the Jekyll and the Hyde. Um, yeah, I just can't wait. It's just an awesome design, Dale. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're excited to be working with you, and, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Yep, you too, and uh, have a good hunt. All right. Thank you. Thanks, bye. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, really fun conversation. Um, yeah, Dale Perry, he, you can, you can hear the passion in his voice and tell how much he loves to bow hunt and, uh, how much he believes in those products. And, um, I believe in them too. I am sold, uh, after all my testing, shooting angles, uh, penetration tests, uh, accuracy tests, uh, you name it, I've tried it. And, uh, these things have performed flawlessly. And, um, so I've got my quiver full of them. Can't wait to head out this season and to, uh, give them a test on a real animal. So, um, super pumped again. Thanks to evolution outdoors for, um, for their support on the podcast. And, um, like I say, I only, I only have on products that I believe in, that I trust my bow hunting means so much to me that, um, I just can't jeopardize it with something else. So, um, I think these broadheads are going to be awesome. Uh, I'm in an internal search for, uh, the, the perfect broadhead and, uh, I think I found it. So um, super pumped. Going to use these things. I'll let you know how they operate this season. Again, if you uh, place an order at Evolution Outdoors, you can get 10% with their promo code EBJ2019. So punch that in and um, get 10% and uh, be good to go for season. So I really do think these broadheads will give you a better chance at getting animals on the marginal hit just with those blades sharpened both ways. Um, gosh, they're super accurate. Uh, I just, uh, I really like these broadheads. So make sure to check them out if you're in the market for new broadheads. And, uh, with that, this podcast out, uh, got one more for the following week. That's going to be a great one with Dan Picard all about elk hunting. So we'll get that one all loaded up for you guys. Get those two done. I got to pour some footings this morning. Um, so I better get to the job site here. Pour some footings this morning and, um, let's see. Oh, uh, Going over to, uh, gonna go do a podcast with uh, Cody Rich and Ryan Lampers tonight in Cody Rich's new podcast studio, which is just awesome. That uh, hunting podcast, he, that he can build a studio like that. So I'm really excited to see it. Really excited to lay down a podcast with those guys. So um, yeah, I'll head up to uh, Bozeman tonight and do that, and then uh, yeah, take off in the morning and um, time to send it. Uh, it doesn't look like 
it's too far as far as driving down there. A lot of main roads where I'm headed. So it looks like maybe 12, 14 hours, which isn't too bad. Um, I'll be in the mountains before I know it. Gosh, it's it's big, vast backcountry too. It is, uh, you know, it's just giant wilderness area. And so um, I just can't wait. This is the, it's the purest form of hunting when you can stick on your backpack and have everything you need for multiple days and um, just, just disappear in the mountains and um, find your own experience. Absolutely can't wait. Um, so anyways, get this podcast out, uh, get it, uh, rolling and, um, gosh, I'll, uh, I'll check in with you guys when I get back and, uh, until then enjoy some really good podcasts. So, um, thanks you guys as always for all the support, uh, uh, downloading, subscribing to the podcast, the reviews really help out the follows on social media. Um, all of it means a ton to me, the personal messages uh, about you guys enjoying the podcast. I just love that. It just um, it it reassures me that I'm putting out the right information to you guys, and you guys are enjoying the content and growing from it. So I really appreciate it, guys. My phone's ringing. I gotta go pour some concrete. So check in with you soon. <laughs>